I don't know about y'all, but I want to go to kids' church sometimes. <laughs> Sounds like fun over there, man. Let's go. Well, uh, hey, thank you again for, for being here today. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about uh, God's message for us. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of background about myself. One of the things that I love to do more than anything is eat. Anybody else? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on. Like, eating is one of probably America's favorite pastime. I don't care about baseball, whatever. It's eating. We, we love to eat. I, I love to eat. You know, I was, I was looking up some uh, statistics about ob- obesity in, in America. And did you know that in 1990, across the United States, obesity was, uh, was, was, was had 12%, or 12% of our population was considered to be obese, which you're like, man, 12%, you know, that's, that's kind of a lot. Well, in 30 years, it's changed a little bit. In 30 years, the, um, the obesity rate for the United States is at 32%. Can you believe that? 32% of our population is obese. Now, if you think you're like, oh, we're in Oklahoma, we're good. Oklahoma, 37%, okay? Like we're beating the rest of the country. You know, yes, that's what I'm talking about, okay? Yeah, okay, so it's not something to be proud of. Right, there's food everywhere. I mean, we live in a culture where there's, there's food no matter where you go, there's always food. In fact, when you leave this place, if you're going out to eat, the question is where, are you gonna, where do you want to go? And the hardest part is trying to figure out, going through all the different um, restaurants in your brain, going where should we go to eat? There's restaurants all over the place. There's grocery stores all over the place. You know, you don't even have to go anywhere to get your favorite food. Like there's DoorDash, right? I mean, just anybody use DoorDash, right, during COVID? Like a lot of people maybe use DoorDash. You can go and you can get um, food from anywhere by not even leaving your house. Food is readily available and we love to eat. You know, as believers, we're also experts, not just eating, like we love potlucks, for real, okay? I think my Sunday school class is about to have one, like literally after the service, okay? Um, but we, we love to eat, not just, not just regular food, but we love to eat spiritual food. I mean, we're experts at taking in spiritual food, aren't we? Like, like whether it's a Bible study or um, a, a devotion or a, a sermon, we take in so many um, during the year that you probably can't even remember what I even preached on last week, right? Because, because we, we just have, we're bombarded all the time with messages that we, we bring in. Like when you're driving down the road, you're listening to the Christian radio or listening to podcasts when you're working out or out in the yard. We're always constantly bringing things in And I would almost consider that spiritual obesity. We're always bringing in things. If you're you're a Christian, you're trying to grow. I mean, you're always bringing in these these messages of the Christian faith. The problem is, is there needs to be balance. Just like in in your physical body, you have to have balance. So you can't just eat and eat and eat. I mean, you have to be actually doing some physical activity to have a right balance um, in life physically or you become obese. That's just the reality of it. In the same way with the church, we have to have balance. That's always been God's design is for us to have this this spiritual balance where we take things in, but we also have spiritual activity that we are doing. And we gotta see, like just like our physical lives, that food is fuel. And when food is not just a a comfort thing for us or an activity, when we see it actually as fuel for 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 doing things like going out and being active, then it changes how we see food. And same way with our spiritual lives. If we see the things that we're taking in, not as just the, the essence of Christianity, but we see it as 
fuel for us to go and do things, the Christian life, then it changes things. Because this has always been God's, God's plan. This has always been God's design for us to, to be fed by him as his children, to be his hands and feet. Not for us just to be fed by him so we can just sit in pews, you know what I'm saying? But for us to actually go and be his hands and feet. And this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to go and show you an ancient uh, church out of, in the book of Acts that was actually going and doing what God had called them to do. They had this right balance, living out God's design for the local church. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. We're in the middle of this series called Stuffed. You know, that is not a picture of my belly. Okay, thank goodness. All right. Um, yeah, we, we, were, we were trying to find one, and Ryland took, showed me that picture. I said, is that me? <laughs> is that me? He goes, no, I found that. I was like, okay, whew, okay. All right, so you can use that. So, I mean, we're in the middle of a series called Stuffed, how we've been blessed by God, and we've been given so much. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, let's look at this church in Acts chapter 11. Before we get there, I need to give you a little bit of background on this church. So, so in, in Acts chapter 11, uh, seven, we read, if you ever read Acts chapter seven, it's the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And it's not given by Peter, it's actually given by this guy named Stephen, this young man. And he was, he was preaching in front of these rulers, and these rulers did not like him. They, they hated him so much, they even killed him after he gives this sermon. So that's Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter eight is the story of, of the Jewish Christians in and around Jerusalem being scattered. They're running for their lives. And then you move into Acts chapter 11, and you see that these, these uh, Christians, these Jewish Christians, have found themselves in a place called Antioch. So Antioch is a city, and it's 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And it is, it is a part of the Roman Empire, and it's the capital city of this province this, of Syria. Okay, It's the third largest city in all of, all of the Roman Empire. About half a million people live there. And it was probably the most modern of all the cities because they actually had, even in ancient times, they had streetlights, which is pretty awesome. Now, not like electricity streetlights, but, you know, like lanterns or whatever. They, they, but that was very modern for that time. It was just this metropolitan city. In fact, a, a archaeologist, James A. Kelso, says that Antioch was to the Roman world what New York City is to ours. So it was, it was like the New York City of the day. And you had these mixes of races and people from all over the, the world. There were Greeks and Jews and Romans and Indians, Persians, and, and people from the far east. So this is where this church is, this group of believers. There were Jewish Christians, and let's look at verse 19. Okay, so Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Here's what the Bible says. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution, like we were talking about, that started because of Stephen, they made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So you have these scattered Jewish Christians, and what is, what, who are the, they speaking to? What does the Bible say they're speaking to? Only Jews. So they were sharing the gospel to only Jews, and they were Jewish Christians, and so what they were doing is this kind of defined their practices and their programs, was, was sharing the gospel with people like them, you know? They went around the city and tried to find other Jews and said, let me, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. And they quickly realized that something had to change, because that is not God's design for the local church. It's to just be inwardly focused and only thinking about yourselves. But that's how they were at the very beginning. But look what happened in verse 20. 
It says, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and they began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And so these Jewish Christians who were not from Antioch, they moved to Antioch. And they were from, like it says, Cyprus, which was an island, and also from northern Africa. And so they go um, to this, this church, and they filled out the connection card or whatever, and they come to the front, and they join the church, and they look around and says, what are y'all doing? Like, this is not what the, the church is supposed to, to be about. You can imagine that they look back on, on being able to read the Gospels, and they said, didn't Jesus say that the Father had sent his Son to be the Savior of the whole world? The whole world, not just the Jewish world. Didn't, didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus say in John 10, 16, this, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Didn't Jesus say that? They asked this question to the, the founding members of this church in Antioch, and something amazing happened. An earth-shattering and earth-changing decision happened, and this church became the first group of Christians who shared the gospel actively with people who were not Jews for the very first time. And this church in Antioch went from this inwardly focused church to this world-changing church. And here we find the first key takeaway for this morning, that while inwardly focused Christians have, have very little impact, while inwardly focused Christians have very little impact, world changers share the gospel with anyone and everyone. That's what world changing Christians do. They share the gospel with whoever. It doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from or what language you speak or what your culture and customs are. We want to share the gospel with anyone. Paul, who visited this church, he would go on to write this in Romans. He said this in Romans 3.29. He asked this question, this hypothetical question. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the, the God of Gentiles too? I mean, it's a hypothetical question. The answer is that he says, yes, of the Gentiles too. He's saying, look, the gospel is for everyone, for everyone. Now I get it. We're, we're not Jews here, and we know that the gospel is for everyone. I mean, if it wasn't, then we wouldn't be sitting here. I, I get that. But it's one thing to know that. And it's another thing to actually to practice that. And actually live it out. Think about it this way. Isn't it easy just to play church and be around other Christians? Isn't it easy to have a church that all kind of, everybody kind of looks the same and acts the same and dresses the same and does the same things? I mean, isn't that easy? And, and isn't it easy? And isn't it like preferable in our culture if we had, if, if our culture would just be like us? You know what I'm saying? Like if you went to the grocery store, you went to work, if you, you're on your sports team, if you're at school, or you're watching on TV, and everything you see kind of reflects who you are. Like everybody speaks the same way. They have the same mannerisms. They, they value the same thing. If, if the rest of our culture would just value the things that we value, wouldn't that be so awesome? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, for me, I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But the reality is, and what I see is that the American church just wants the rest of the culture to be like we are. We just want the, the culture to be like us. We want them to act like us. We want them to, to speak like us. 
We want them to have the same values that we have. We want them to live like us. And here's what's happened. Without us realizing it, the, the culture has passed by the American church. It's just gone from the American church being part of the culture, and we, it just, just left us. And if you want to really, if you want to really know what the, the culture was like in the 1970s or 80s or 90s, you know where you need to go? You need to go to a stagnant or dying church. You'll see exactly what the culture is like in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Usually the church is 20, 30, 40 years behind culture. If you want to know what a good, healthy church looks like, go to a, a church that is growing and living out the gospel, and they, they will look really similar to their culture. But the problem is for most American churches is the culture just passed us by. And we all do it, don't I mean? We cover our eyes, we cover our ears, and, and the culture, um, from the culture around us, and, you know, we don't go share the gospel with people because people are too different than us. And what that really is, is that's sin. Like, we are experts, okay? Okay, this is just us talking as a family here. We are experts at having these rules as Christians of things we don't do because that's sin, you know? I'm not going to do these, all these things in my life. I'm going to take those out of my life because that is sin. We're experts at that. But the reality is there's some things we should be doing that we don't do. And you know what that is? It's still sin. It's still sin. And that's what this church found themselves doing. And this, these people who were not from their church, they were from other areas. They weren't Jewish from Jerusalem kind of people. They were Jews, but they were from North Africa and other places. They had been, those, those people had been living with the, the Gentiles their whole life. That's all they knew was living in their culture. And they moved to Antioch, and they see, you know, y'all are doing it wrong. You got to repent from that. You got to be like your culture. You got to invest in your culture. You got to do the things, whatever it takes, so that people can hear the gospel no matter who they are. And they began to share the gospel with people that weren't like them. And it was amazing. Things started happening, and the rest of the Christian world took notice. Look what happens in verse 22. Verse 22, the Bible says, News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw what? He saw the grace of God, and he was glad, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the spirit and of faith, and a large number of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And this is pretty cool. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, which is pretty awesome. So this guy named Barnabas, he shows up in the middle of this story. So I don't know if you know a lot about Barnabas, but he was in the church in Jerusalem. He's at, he's at the, the mother church, okay, the mega campus in Jerusalem, the first like Christian church. He's there. He's a part of it. He's, he's in leadership. And they wanted to send someone to check and make sure that this Antioch church they're hearing about is actually doing what the Christian churches should be doing. And so they send Barnabas to go and see and make sure they're doing what is right. It's like if, if in a business, my, my watch is going off. Um, in, in, a, in a business, if you want um, someone to come in into your business and help you, what do you do? You, you go and get a consultant, don't you? You know, like you bring in a consultant to help your business. And what kind of traits do you want in your consultant? 
you, you want them to know about the business, okay? Uh, you want them to have uh, best practices. You want them to be an expert in their field. And when they come in and help you, then that, that's, that's a great benefit to you. And that's kind of what was going on with Barnabas. Barnabas. Barnabas was like the expert of the day. He was a great um, leader. Um, he, was a, he was a great giver, and he was a, he was a great man of service. He was, his name actually means son of encouragement. He, he was, a, he was a, a go-to guy. And the other day, our staff, we were doing a devotion on one of the mornings uh, in our offices, and, and something came up. I can't remember what it was, but it had the idea that I wanted to get a coffee mug. Maybe it's because I was drinking coffee at the time. I want to get a coffee mug, and on it, it says professional Christian. That's like what I wanted my, my, uh, my coffee mug to say, just because like, uh, I live and breathe this kind of stuff. Well, that's kind of what Barnabas was like. He was like the professional Christian expert of the day, and they send him to see what's going on and report back to them. And he goes and he sees um, this young church, it's like church plant, that it had matured and it had grown. It's like when you go to a, a family reunion or some, somewhere and you haven't seen that kid in a long time, <laughs> you know, you haven't seen that grandkid or that niece or nephew and you used to do this to him and now you're like, Hey, what happened to you, you know? Like, what in the world? This happened to me a lot. When I was a youth pastor, I would all get all these sixth and seventh graders, but hey, guys, you know? And by the time they graduate, I'm like shaking their hand like this, you know? I mean, that's just, that's just the reality. People grow up and people mature. And that's exactly what Barnabas saw in this church. And he saw their maturity. And the Bible says that he cheered them on. And he cheered them on because here's the second principle for today. He knew that world changers never stop living out the gospel. Not only do they share the gospel with anyone and everyone, they never stop living out the gospel. This is what verse 23 says when it says that he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, with devoted hearts, to remain in the Lord and doing that. I love what the ESV says. It says that Barnabas encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I love that, that phrase, steadfast purpose. He says, don't quit. Don't stop doing what you're doing. My question for you is, what is your purpose? Not for the church, not for your family, but for you. What is your purpose here on this earth? If you're a believer in Christ, what is your purpose? Well, Jesus gives us our purpose in Mark 16, 15. He says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, to everyone. This is our purpose. And this is us living out the gospel. And if you want to be a world changer for Christ, you can't stop. You should never stop. Even when times get difficult, never stop sharing the gospel. Never stop doing what you're called to do. And this is exactly what this early church was doing. Look at verse 27. The Bible goes on and says this. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Okay, so when it says come down, they actually were going north, but it was, they were at a higher elevation, and they went down to Antioch. And verse 28 says this, that one of them named Agabus, that's a crazy name. Agabus stood up and predicted by the spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. So there's this prophet named Agabus. He's a believer. He's a Christian. He comes to, to visit and he warns them about something that's about to happen. He warns them about a famine that's about to sweep through the Roman world. And God had given them insight into something that happened because in 45 AD, the, the Nile River in Egypt flooded. It was this catastrophic flood that happened, and this, the Nile River Delta was considered the, the breadbasket of the ancient world, okay? 
That's where all the, all the, the grain came from for most of the world. And this place flooded, and so they knew that they were about to get hit really hard. They were about to get hit really hard um, from this, this famine. And so a need arose. And Agabus doesn't tell them, like, what to do. He just gives them the information and says, hey, church, here's what's happening. Here's what's about to happen. And he puts it in their hands, and they have to make a decision about what they're going to do. How are they going to respond? And here's how they responded in verse 29. The Bible says each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. Evidently, Agabus, he he explained that the main mother church campus in Jerusalem, they were going to get hit really hard. It was going to be really difficult for them. And these people, their hearts were stirred. Their hearts were stirred by this, this call, and they realized another great principle for living out the Christian life, that world changers don't just read the gospel, they invest in it. Yet we are, we're experts at just reading the gospel. But the Bible says it's not enough just to read it and know it. You're called to invest in it. And these families that made up the, the church in Antioch, they knew what they needed to do. And the Bible says they gave. Not a specific amount, but they gave according to their ability. So evidently there are rich people, there are wealthy people in this congregation, and there's also poor people in this congregation. And the Bible doesn't say that that the the poor said, hey, the rich can take care of it because they they can afford it. It says that everyone gave. No matter who they were, no matter what was going on in their family life, everyone stepped up to the plate. It's really interesting about their giving. I I see a couple things in it. One is, is that it was selfless giving. It was selfless because this famine wasn't going to stop at Jerusalem. Like, it was, they were going to get hit hard too, you know? I mean, they were going to be affected by it. But they didn't say, you know what? Hey, it's time to circle the wagons. It's time to just think about ourselves. And all the other churches, they can figure it out. No, they, they said, you know what? We got to give. We got to sacrifice. God will take care of us. We feel called. We, we've been given this directive by the Lord to go and to give. And so they did that, and it was selfless. Another thing we see is that it was Christ-like. It was Christ-like because it had no strings attached, and that's what God does. He gives us his son with no strings attached. Jesus gives us his love. He gives us his blood with no strings attached, and that's exactly what this church did. They didn't send, the Bible didn't say that they sent this money with, with uh, Saul and Barnabas with like a note that says, hey, we're going to give you this money, but you know what? If we scratch your back, like, can you scratch ours, you know, next time? Like, there's, there's, there's no strings attached in the middle of this. It was a Christ-like in their giving. Another thing I noticed is they didn't pass responsibility on to someone else. And we're really good at that, guys. We were, I mean, just, that's just kind of our culture. We, we tend to pass the responsibility and say someone else will take care of that. That's not what they did. They all gave. And we had to understand a couple things. First is that a world-changing family if you want to be a world-changing family, you can't just go to Bible study. You can't just sit where you're sitting right now. That's not what it means to be a world-changing family. To be a world-changing family means to be a family that invests in the gospel. And for this, these people, that's what they did. They, they invested in the gospel. And the way they invested was financially. And what happened is, is they changed the world. Their, their investment changed the world. Did you know that this church in Antioch became like the church, the example. 
It was no longer the small little church plant. It was the church in that region because they were doing the things that God had called them to do. And God blessed them. And God grew that church. So I'm going to ask you something. I'd like to ask you a question. Are you stuffed? How many of y'all ate too much food yesterday watching football? Okay, me. All right. I'm the only one? All right, whatever. Okay, so, liars. Are you stuffed? Are you spiritually stuffed? Let me ask it this way. Are you blessed? Has God shown up in your life? Has he fulfilled his promises to you? Has he given you his son? Has his son died on the cross for you? Let me tell you what, the answer is yes. He has given you those things. And if, if that is true, then the reality is, is that you are blessed. And if you are blessed, it's time to invest in that blessing. Now, I know many of you give financially here at Central. We've been talking about it a little bit today, and um, we prayed about it earlier. And, and I, I thank you. There are so many of you guys that give, and, and I really, I mean, from the bottom of my heart, it, it makes, it's, what, it's the engine that makes Central run. It's awesome. But here's the reality. Four out of ten families in this room and online, our church families don't. Four out of ten of our church families, they don't give. And I was thinking about this, like, why? I mean, like, there could be a lot of reasons why a church family doesn't give. Maybe, you know, maybe your life is just crazy right now, and once it gets figured out, then, then you'll give, you know? Or maybe your finances and your spending habits are just out of control, or um, maybe your heart hasn't been been, you know, stirred, and you're just waiting for, like, the right cause to invest your resources in. Or maybe you just haven't been asked, you know? Maybe no one has asked you to give. This morning, I want to ask you, if you've been blessed by God, if your heart has been stirred by the gospel, I want to ask you to give. No messing around with it the morning, I just want to ask you to give. As your pastor, I want to ask you to give to the, the missions and the ministry of God here in Owasso. That's what we should be doing. You know, the Bible is really clear that that's what we should be doing. The Bible says that we're supposed to give just a little bit back to God because of what he's done for us. And he asks us to do that as, as a way to, to worship him, as a way to be obedient to him, and as a way to sacrifice to him. And the Bible even goes as far as to say this, that if you don't, you're robbing God. And I was thinking about this, like, what does it mean to rob someone? When you rob someone, you're taking something that is what? It's theirs. So the Bible says that when we don't give, when we don't tithe, what we're doing is we're robbing God. Because it's all his anyways. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, here's what God himself says to us. This is his command to us. He says this, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. What is a storehouse? Storehouse is the local church, okay? It's the local church. He says this, test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. God has called all of us to give. And he hear, this is crazy. This is the only time in all of scripture that he says, test me. Put me to the test. It's when it has to do with our finances because finances is so important to us. He says, test me. He says, test me and see. If, if, you will, if you will give sacrificially to me, test me and see if I don't bless the socks off of you. Okay? That's what he says. 
And so as a church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do just that. We're going to put God to the test. And as your pastor, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to give. I'm not saying to give for the rest of your life. I'm asking you to give just for a small time right now. So here's what I want to do. We've done this before, but I've got something for every single one of you in the, the seat below you. So if you just reach down in the, the little uh, metal rack, there's a little card. I want everybody to grab it. Go ahead and grab it. I'm watching everybody. Y'all grab those things and pull those out. We're going to look at it real quick. And if you're online right now, um, you look, look, there should be a link in the, the comment section or um, on, the, on our app. Uh, you can, on our digital notes, you can go and, and click on that as well and do it this way. But, but here, here's, here's something I'm, I'm asking you guys to do. We're going to do a 90-day tithing challenge. It's something we've done in the past, but I know there's a lot of new people in here, and I want to I call you um, to do something great for God. This is a 90-day tithing challenge, and on the back, I wanted to kind of read it, uh, read through it with you to kind of explain it to you. There's a pen in the seat back in front of you if you'd like to fill it out. Here's what um, it says. There's two ways that you can be a part of this, this challenge. This is going to be crazy, okay, guys? Number one is, is this. I would like to test God's faithfulness by accepting the 90-day tithing challenge. I agree that starting next Sunday, my household will give to God through CBC Owasso a tithe equal to 10% of my income. And at the end of the 90-day period, this is where it's the challenge, Okay. If I'm not convinced of God's faithfulness to bless my life as a result of my obedience to his word, then I will be entitled to request a refund of the full amount of contributions made during this 90-day period. I don't know of any other church that gives refunds for tithes, but we're going to do it, okay? The reason we're going to do it is because we truly believe that God says what he's going to do, that he's trustworthy. And he says, hey, test me. Test me and see if I don't, if you, if you will give sacrificially, if you'll be obedient to me, test me and see if I won't bless you back in response. And so we're going to do that. And if you don't believe, if, you, if you'll be a part of this 90-day tithing challenge, if you believe that, that after 90 days that God hasn't blessed you, we'll give you your money back, okay? Full refund during that 90 days. There's also another check mark, uh, box underneath that's for um, everyone that's already giving. And it says... I already give to God through CBC Owasso 10% of my income, and I've seen God's faithfulness in the area of my finances. I commit to continue to give a tithe equal to 10% of my income. I do not need to participate in the 90-day tithing challenge. So if you're, if you're a church member that you're like, hey, I'm already giving, I want to continue to give, then I want to ask you, every single one of us that are doing that, to go ahead and mark that and turn it in and fill it, uh, fill it out and turn it in here in just a second. Let me go through some of the, the requirements so it was all on the same page as far as this 90-day tithing challenge, and they're kind of spelled out the fine print down below. A couple things we need to realize. Understand this form must be completed and received and turned into the church, okay, starting next Sunday. Um, the second one is, is that my tithe must be paid online or by cash or check with an envelope or some way that we know we can keep records. We keep, you know, great, perfect records um, as best we can of everything. We gotta, you got to be able to, to give that way so that we can um, know how much you've been giving. Um, and I understand that I cannot seek a refund for any contributions made prior to the beginning of the 90-day tithing challenge. I have to put that in there. I always think it's kind of funny. Like, hey, I've been giving for 30 years. I'd like to get a refund for all that, okay? It's kind of funny. Um, but it's just during this 90-day 90 90 day tithing challenge, um, and, you can and it says you can't request a refund until 30 day, uh, sorry, until the, the time is the 90-day tithing challenge is complete, and that request must come within 30 days of the, the end of the challenge, okay? So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to be a part of this. Maybe you haven't been given to Central. 
maybe trying to figure out where, where should we give, where should we invest our money, this is a great place to invest your money, your resources. And here's the deal. This isn't a plea to get, to get your money. This is a plea for us to be obedient to God and to be like that early church, the early church that was a world changer because they did what God called them to do. And we need to be a church that does that. And look, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this 90-day tithing challenge. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you to commit to something. Here's the commitment, and I'll put it up on the screen. It's this, that I will commit to give 10% of my income to God as a tithe through Central. Will you make that commitment? Will you make that recommitment to be a part of this mission that God is doing here at Central? Man, things are happening. I'm super excited, but, but for that to continue, for God to continue to do what he's doing in us and through us, we got to be a part of it. we got to give, be a part of this mission. And here's what happens. Here's what happens to a church that, that does this. If we go back in this passage, the question is, why should we give? Why? Verse 21 says this, that the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The Bible says here, this was, this was the result, result when people actually shared the gospel with people that weren't like them, that they never gave up and they gave sacrificially. They invested in the gospel. The Bible says when a church does that, here's what happens. Lives are changed. And don't you want lives to be changed? I want people who are not here yet to be sitting next to you pretty soon. And that takes resources and it takes commitment. It takes all of us saying, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go share the gospel with people. We believe that Jesus has called our church to be a church where he changes everything. Where he changes everything. And when that happens, lives are truly changed. So I ask you to be a part of that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And then Rylan's going to come up and, and sing a song over us. And, and I want to ask you, you can stay seated during this whole time. I want you just to hold this in your hand. you got a pen with you. I want you to pray over that. And if God's calling you to do that, he's putting that on your heart, man, just be faithful to him. He will, he will take care of you. I promise. That is his guarantee. So as a church, let's test him. Let's ask him to be faithful as we are faithful. So I want to ask you, as we're, we're praying, as we're singing the song of you, I want, you to, I want to ask you to, to fill, this, fill this out. Or if you're online, you can do that digitally. If you're here today, as you leave, there, there are buckets and there are black boxes. You can put yours in any one of those. But I want to ask, whether you're, you're a giver or not, to fill this out. Check off that box, whatever God's calling you to do, and let's be faithful to God together. Let's be a church that's a world changer. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story, this church, Acts chapter 11, this Antioch church that became world changers. They did that because they were willing to give. They did that because they were willing to share the gospel with people who were different than them, and they, they never quit. God, may we be a church like that. May we be a church families like that. May we be individuals that are like that. And I pray, God, that you would bless those who give. Maybe some new givers today. For the next 90 days, I pray, God, that you would just bless them like crazy, more than they could ever imagine. 
that you be faithful to them as you are being faithful, as they're being faithful to you, God. Call us, convict us, change us, God. Help us be a part of your mission here. We pray in Jesus' name.